0: This is The Biz of Wealth. Challenges, rumblings, and evolution of the wealth management industry.
1: Welcome to The Biz of Wealth. Today, I'm with Scott Carson, who's the notes guy from Austin. And um, I'll just, you know, welcome, first of all. Thank you for being here. here.
0: Honored to be here. We're going to have a good time. Exactly.
1: That's the idea. So first, give me your, you know, elevator pitch and who you are.
0: <laughs> well, we talked about that beforehand. Yeah, I don't know if I just before. Didn't record. I know yeah, exactly. No, it's okay. So for the last uh, 20 years, I've been an entrepreneur um, for the most part focused uh, as a real estate investor, but primarily focused for the last 14 years now on buying and investing in distressed debt. And uh, People would often wonder why you would want to buy a non-performing note. And I say everybody's in the note game already. Um, just most people are on the wrong side of the payment streams. If you okay. got a mortgage, so tell me that. about that. Yeah, what, what do you mean mm-hmm.
1: everybody's in the note game?
0: So if you've got a mortgage or a house, I mean, a mortgage or a house, a, a car payment, credit card debt, student loan debt, IOU, whatever it might be, you're in the note game. You're just on the wrong side of the payment stream. You're paying out versus paying in. Okay, And that's why banks are always so big is that they understand the use of arbitrage using somebody else's funds, go out, you know they're borrowing money technically at like one tenth of one percent, but then lending money at anywhere from three to four to twenty percent and making that arbitrage in between. And that's kind of what I do a little bit in the note business, except what I do is I'm buying bad debt where somebody hasn't made a mortgage payment in anywhere from six six months to six years. And we're buying that debt from lenders, private institutions at a usually a substantial discount because it's uh, somebody's not paying. And we make our money, Alejandro, by basically becoming the bank, then reaching back out to the bar and say, hey, you know pay, you know stay. We got to work something out here. Do you want to stay? Let's set up a modification agreement or payment plan and get you back on track. So how we make our money is buying the debt at a big discount, either getting the bars back on track for payments. They bring a little bit of money to the table to get back on track or if they won't play ball with us they'll tell us to go pound sand then we have the same rights as the bank to go in and start the foreclosure process and take the either take the property back or sell the property auction because we're buying the debt at such a big discount below usually somewhere around 50 to 60 cents on the dollar of value or even less in some cases so we've got a lot of our own technically equity that we can play with does that make sense oh.
1: The people that are, you know, that you're getting the the debt from, they don't want to do the foreclosure process. You know, are banks not doing that anymore? What, what is it?
0: That's a really great question. Everybody asked me that. Why wouldn't a bank just go ahead and foreclose? And, and there's a variety of reasons that banks um, will sell debt off of their books. One, they just, yeah, like we've ran into the last two years where they couldn't foreclose and they've tired of holding on to this note for a period of time. So they'll sell the debt to me that. I make my money by, you know, fixing that problem job. Or in some cases, uh, especially in maybe a smaller bank, they've been, the, they actually know their clients and they don't want to be the bad guy foreclosing. So they'd rather, you know, get mm-hmm. something in it that they can go in arbitrage and go out and make money back on and let me be the bad guy. Or we buy off from a lot of investors or, you know, real estate investment trusts that wanted just performing paper and people have started non-paying. So they'd rather sell that non-performing paper off versus have to go through a, uh, you know, a 30 day foreclosure in Texas, or maybe a you know nine to 12 month foreclosure process down in, in Florida. Instead of having to do that, they'd rather sell it to me and, and move on. So you
1: mentioned something that is interesting and a good segue into what I wanted to talk to you about. You know, basically the banks are saying, you know, they know them, it's a branding issue. You don't want to look bad in front of your clients. So you're just going to sell the debt. And I see that you do have a, a very strong focus on marketing and, you know, on on growing influence, you call it. So tell me a little bit about how you built the business and why you have this
0: focus. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I think we dominate in our niche. I mean, note investing people don't really know a lot about, but it's definitely a smaller niche within the bigger world of real estate investing. And for, I'll say the last 11 years, we've really relied on our marketing to help us get, well, there's a lot of, I won't say gray hairs, but note investing, most people that are teaching note investing or been in the note business have been around for 20, 30 years. They don't understand the power of social media marketing. And I was very fortunate back when I first got started as kind of a real estate investor, the right way, I had basically four-year apprenticeship with some folks that taught me not only owner financing, creative financing, debt, and real estate, but it also taught me marketing. One um, of the founders, or not, I won't say the founders, one of the big uh, folks over at tra- a Trafficking Conversion Summit or DigitalMarketer.com, Roland Frazier. I got to spend basically four years working with him and picking his brand in marketing. And when everything hit the fan in 2008 in the mortgage markets, so I relied upon that marketing aspect to really kind of set me apart. People didn't understand no business. So I used video and blogs and um, t- conference calls out to people that were interested in learning more to just share what note investing is. So I started teaching back in 2010 about note investing to give people an opportunity to understand that it's not like buying a property or or buying a rental. It's a different process. There's a lot of things into it. And so we've just leveraged and doubled down on the marketing aspect. That's why we've got the Note Closer Show podcast, you know, with over a million, 1.2 million downloads. We're doing videos every week. It's just, I think it's one of the most important things because besides everybody being in the note business these days, if you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, I don't care if you're selling tires or property or social media services. You've got to realize and embrace the fact that we're all a media first kind of uh, market. You've really got to embrace that marketing side. Cause if you're not going to market your business, somebody else is going to market theirs. I and mean, it doesn't have, and we're so blessed that marketing video and stuff like that is so much easier to do these days than what it used to be, you know, even just 10 years ago, you think about YouTube being around, what, 11, 12 years, it was kind of new back then, and all the things that pop up, and if you've got a smartphone, you know, as long as it's not like a flip phone or an old Nokia floating around, you know what I mean, <laughs> you have the opportunity to really, I mean, my iPhone is more intelligent than the computers that they had to land the uh, the, the the lunar module, you know, back in Apollo 11, and stuff like that, so you're... If you don't want to embrace, that's fine. Just somebody else is going to grab your market share and either grab your investors or grab your deal flow. And our marketing, that's what we've really pushed out there is when somebody wanted to search for a note investing or buying notes or sell, who do I sell a note to? Oftentimes we show up in the search engines organically. I've never paid a dollar to Google for stuff for ads or anything like that. But that leads to people seeing us reaching out to us and embracing it's why we've, you know, that's why you know, we just we kick ass and really dominate our niche, but all through organic content.
1: OK, so you mentioned two things that I'm interested in. First, you said you started by teaching. That's something I talk to my clients all the time. You know, just share your knowledge, teach and, you know, it will come. Um, most of the time they don't have the patience to build to build it. Right. They're like, nah, yeah, I'm, I'm just dedicating all this time and I get like 10 views. Yeah, but you may get the right ten views that you need. Yes. So, how did you start that? Why did you think about teaching, and how did you uh, how did you manage your time as an entrepreneur too? So
0: really, that's a really great question. I think I think we if you're a digital entrepreneur, you're probably all familiar with it, a guy out of New York called Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Jab 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 right hook. Big New York Jets fan. Kind of a, a salty, vinegary personality, but we all love him, right? And Gary said something, and I also will throw it back to Kevin Harrington, one of the sharks. I I saw him speak in Vegas uh, years ago, and they talked about you're not going to go organic. Your content, your video is not going to blow up. You're not going to have a million downloads and a million views. But you have to realize, though, you don't need that. You need one person to watch your video or see your content that makes a difference in their lives. That one person. We're all one person away from something happening. And so I took that as like this guy, these guys are a lot smarter than I am. I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I just got to listen to what they say. And so, especially back in, um, oh, I, I want to say it was maybe it was 2000, it was 2015, 2016. And there were several people that said, listen, you got to make video a full time thing in what you're doing. You've got to be one of your major staples because that's where everything is going. And obviously, look now, five, six years later, every platform has some sort of video component. So I flew back home from Vegas. I remember sitting down with my staff and said, listen, we're going to do videos every day. We're going to do something. We're just going to do a, this new thing called Facebook Live had come out. <laughs> and, I, and I said, let's, and, and I've always taken a marketing first approach. Like the first hour of every day when I walk in the office or I wake up, it's, it's about marketing. I don't check emails. I'm not worried about my text messages. That hour is dedicated to either a recording a podcast episode like we're doing today sending an email blast out to our market or uploading a video that we've recorded to get out. um, Or I'm doing my own podcast episode that we're recording. And we do that on a day. So when I first started, I did 150 days, business days, 30 weeks, basically of Facebook lives. And I would just, I would just share what's going on. It was kind of to be a fly in the What are we working on today? You know, and these videos would be anywhere from eight minutes to 80 minutes in some cases, if we had a good guest or a good topic. And that just built, that really built the following. I mean, now the algorithms are different now than they were, you know, eight, six years ago. But over those 150 days, we had over 170,000 views on those videos. Now, Facebook videos don't really last that long. They get buried like everything else, kind of like your Twitter feed does. But I still look as like, wow, that's, that's a good audience. Well, then that's when we launched the podcast. I so said, heck, we're just doing the Facebook Live videos. Let's just start, let's make a podcast out of this now. Because we had built our our tribe, built a following, mm-hmm. and then we leveraged that with our email database and, and YouTube, and that's kind of what we did. We we take one piece of content, one video, and we share it in seven or eight spots. So it doesn't it doesn't take as long as most people think about. It. Exactly. You yeah, know you you know I, your student, I'm sure your your folks, your clients, stuff like they think, oh, this is going to take 12 hours to create 12 pieces of content. No, it takes you re- hitting that record button, and if you want to edit and, and share it other places, great. If you want to do a little bit more fancy editing. There's ways to outsource that um, through services or third party vendors to make that happen. That's what we do. We just hit record and then ship it out to our our third party vendor who edits it and throws it up on it, you know, throws it back to us, or they write a blog and share that on our website or upload the podcast. And that's just, it's just an organic, it's like a net. Now we dominate the first two pages of Google, which is really all that you want to be, all through just sharing on a repeat basis. And if you're going to end up, doing the work or you're ask answering questions on a million a million times you might as well record a video make an episode about that question
1: yeah so
0: that you, so that's easier for people to, to watch and binge and binge your content.
1: And another another aspect that you mentioned that I'm very interested in that I, I discuss a lot is the niche the niche building and the niche definition. Uh, how do you find your niche? How do you, did you find it and how did you define it?
0: So that's a really good question because I think you as they say the riches are in the niches. Right, <clears throat> we've all heard that slogan a couple of times, but you know you have to look at what's out there. Um, you know, if you're <sighs> doing the same thing that everybody else does, isn't going to get you rich. You're and we're you're listening to the Biz of Wealth podcast, okay? Come on, all right. You have to if you want to be wealthy. Not that doesn't mean go out and make another hamburger just like McDonald's. That just makes it. You got to find something that people need, something that you have a unique. Strengthen, I think, also really helps so if you've got to strengthen something and you're very passionate about it, or that's going to help you. But <clears throat> trying to be a, a jack of all trades equals to a master of none. So you've got to find something that's being un- underserved. And that's what I found, you know, back 14 years ago, is the note business was around, but most people didn't know about it. There's like one or two people I said, well, there's nobody teaching this one niche of note investing, the distress side. Let me start teaching about that. Let me start sharing about this. And it also helped that the market kind of took a big, you know, downturn in two thousand eight, where people were more interested. So that's that's one thing. Look at what's going on in the market. <clears throat> Look what's not being served. There's an, a niche or a segment or a population that's not being served. Capitalize on that. Look at that, and then don't be afraid. Embrace different ways to get the word out. Um, one thing that really helped us too is that we were in this niche, but we also were not afraid to reach out to our, I guess you'd say, our competitors or our peers. And we started doing an online summit back six years ago, where we invited our competition to be on the summit with us for three and a half days, and it was really fun. It's like, what you want me to speak to your audience? I'm like, yeah, just share it to your audience. So we did that with the whole idea that they weren't going to share it; they're probably not going to share our event, but they did. Or we did that; we shared the heck out of it on social media, so it just happened. A lot of crossover audience and that really resulted in a lot more market share people are like oh i like what he's sharing oh that's nice and it led to the people that were our biggest competitors who said said no we're like oh we need to start doing that right and so we and and that's the thing when you start seeing people i won't say stealing your stuff or replicating your stuff that's the purest form of flattery when they'll start replicating what you do but find your niche find a target audience that's not being served or something I mean, don't be generic that's the problem, especially in, in real estate a lot of times these days, is so many people are trying to be a generic real estate show. Well, there's a million generic entrepreneur podcasts g- generic real estate. Find one niche and focus on it. And it'll make it easier, but, but go deep on that niche and dominate that niche. And you'll be happier because you're not being distracted with other things. And your audience will look at to you as being either the guy or gal who's the uh, who's the you know the uh, the expert in that one field. And that's what you want.
1: Okay. So, but your niche was defined by your product, not by your audience.
0: Well, it, it was, it was defined by the market. It was defined by what's going on in, in the market more so. Cause I was doing fix and flips and wholesale. I wasn't really doing lot of, but when the market went South, I got out of the mortgage business. I got out of the fix and flip business. So let's just focus. Here's an opportunity to buy distressed debt because it, it something like we hadn't seen 20 years since the eighties. I said, okay, let me do that. And then I started seeing there's not a lot of education out there for what I'm doing. Let me start sharing what I'm doing. And my the audience came over like, oh, this is awesome. This is interesting. We want to find more about it. And that's, that's what helped us dominate our niche.
1: That's interesting because whenever I think of a niche, I think of a product, but I also think of an audience. You found the product first, the audience later. Who came?
0: I would probably say the product first, you know, um, as far as our niche, we started seeing stuff coming from banks. And so I started sharing it. Our content is a way to not only find more deals, but to raise capital because people are like, Oh, this is great. But I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I like what I'm seeing return wise or what you're seeing as far as deals, but I don't understand what you're talking about. So it, it was actually kind of funny. I'm, uh, I was in Orlando, Orlando. I was in Orlando. I had an event in a real estate summit. Somebody asked me to come in and they, somebody made a comment about distressed debt. And everybody, they come, you know, all the speakers, like, oh, we don't know. I said, well, I know about it. I've bought about. It. So they brought me up on stage at a lunch break, okay. Oh, wow. And I had like 30 minutes, and it was just, like they were like, just you know, oh, here, here, this group, go get your sandwiches, go get your bucks, and I'm just up there just talking for 30 minutes about note investing and kind of the basic concepts, and I get off the stage, and I just got bombarded with like 50 people, and we're like, 50 people, are, like, hey, do you teach a course? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, what do you charge Uh, 250 for a a three day class? Like, okay, give me your card. I was like, I don't have the link here. They didn't want me to pitch it. You know, that whole, like, you know, just flying by the seat of my pants. So I I collected everybody's business cards. I went home, went up my hotel room and said, okay, let's figure this out. Jumped online and figured out how to set up a link and a one page landing page. And I sent an email out to the 50 people and 20 people signed up for the class. I was like, okay, that was pretty easy. Now I got to put the class together. You know what I mean? (laughs) But people ask, do you have something? And, you know, instead of me creating a class that I thought they would want, people literally told me what they wanted and that's what I created. That helps too when your audience tells you what you want. But the the, the biggest thing I could tell you is don't be afraid to share stuff. Uh, I'd never taught a class before, never you know taught taught a workshop. I mean, I've been around them and attended them, but I never taught anything like that before. And I was like, okay, here's an opportunity. Can't be too hard, you know? And so I'll just share what I learned and ask some questions and, you know, what are the the what are the three biggest things you want to learn from this and people would tell me I am like okay so I'll create a segment on exactly what they want to learn right and, and deliver it from there and then I always ask afterwards hey what do you what what what's one topic that we didn't cover that you would like for me to spend more time on and so that gave me kind of the, the 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 rest of the list to develop the class and going from there now looking back now I I've been teaching note investing for 12 years I was the educator of the year in 2014 and a runner up in 2016 in my industry and um it's just it's fun. I, I enjoy it because the market's always changing. And I, I think it's one big thing. If you're going to teach something, you got to be in that niche or doing right. it on a regular basis. There's too many people that are teaching something they haven't done for two, three, four or five years. And their are content it so you always have to be in the thick of the things, getting your rolling up your sleeves and getting dirty with it as well.
1: But as a marketing strategy, then, you know, you teach them how many of them convert into investors for you.
0: Well, wow, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think anybody, I, I always make the running joke that 5% of people do anything. You know what I mean? What uh, mean? So like if you teach a class of hundred people, there's literally maybe 10% will actually take action on doing something. Oh, okay. You know, five, five, if you're lucky 10, if you're really lucky. And the way that we kind of figured this out is when I would teach a class, when I was doing a hotel class, you know, we would give the, the registration list to people that came. So listen, instead of you running around trying to exchange cards, we're going to give you the registration list so that you can follow up with people afterwards. Yes. If you don't want to be on the list, let me know. We'll remove your name, stuff like that. But, And we would always see within 48 hours, we knew who the successful students were going to be because the successful students would realize the opportunity, send an email out to the entire database within 24 to 48 hours. And we would go back, you know, Thirty days, ninety days later, and talk with people. Hey, are you still doing stuff? And some people are doing stuff, but what happens is people get bogged down trying to chase too many, you know, too many squirrels. So they're not successful, and, and just focus on one. The ones that focus on just one thing and, and went with it were very successful, and or th- they were either buying deals for themselves, or they said, "I don't want to, I don't want to do deals uh, myself. I'll just write you a check." So we would see about, a, you know somewhere around 20 to 25% conversion of people wanting to invest with us versus just going out and do it themselves. And then it, all, then it all comes down to, okay, you know, are they, um, are they um, sophisticated? You know, are they accredited? Can we, uh, you know, do they have funds that we really put work or are they just like, hey, I got a thousand bucks. Well, that's that's too little to do anything. With. So it's all about kind of walking that step through people. But that's part of the reason we have all the videos too. And the content out there is we get phone calls all the time from people like, hey, I've been binge watching your your videos or listening to your podcast. I like what you're doing. I want to either A, sign up for a class with you in education or B, can we talk about potentially investing with you? And, uh, you know, that's that's always an amazing thing. I, I'm a big believer that every download that we get is, is worth somewhere around a thousand bucks, some sort of fashion. Uh, and by looking at our numbers over the last few years, that's, that's about, about accurate. Every download we get is worth somewhere a thousand bucks. either people sign up for something or people invest in, this in some sort of fashion.
1: That's super, that's super interesting. So when, in, in all this time, what, what question do you wish you were asked more often uh, about, <laughs> about investing in notes or.
0: We live in such a fast paced society and you mentioned it earlier. People don't have patience these days. You know what I mean? And I wish people like, and everybody's all, likes to gloss over or filter success. Oh, it looks like everybody's having a great time. People, I would wish people would ask more about what's your biggest mistake or what's your biggest hurdle that you've overcome along the way. Cause everybody thinks about the fact that, Hey, you've been around for a while, you've, been, you've won these awards, you're closing these many deals. They don't see the amount of deals that we've made offers on that we canceled on or the deals that didn't close properly that we had to either you know, fix. And that's in real estate. You're always going to have good deals and you're gonna have deals that go south that you got to figure out a way to do that. So. You know, like we're like anybody, we like making lemonade out of lemons uh, and, and figuring out. And I think that's one of the most important thing is, is looking at how when things turn south on you, like I'll give you a great example, Alejandro, when the foreclosure moratorium hit two years ago, we couldn't foreclose, we couldn't evict. And that's one of our biggest exit strategies. So hmm. we had to get creative for the last two years of working with the borrowers, either pro- providing you know loan modifications or forbearance agreements, or some people just didn't want to pay at all. And we had to figure out ways to get around that. So that's, that's the biggest thing is people ask how you fail. Well, you just don't take action. That's the number one thing. Don't take action. You'll, you're guaranteed failure. Right. Um, but if you do take action, you do implement things And are coachable, you can find success, especially if you got a coach or somebody out there to help guide you along the way. And that's one of the most important things is I've had great coaches over my life. I still have coaches this day in business and marketing and finance, stuff like that too, that um, you never stop learning. And uh, as the market changes, you've got to be willing to change or as a, the, one of the most overused terms the last two years, pivot into something new for you. You know what I mean?
1: So what, what do you do when you get stuck? Because, you know, as an entrepreneur, sometimes we get stuck. You know, you get trained and you're like, okay, I, I, I don't even know where to go. Um, what do you do? How do you start over or how do you heat
0: refresh? That's a really good question because I think so many people are, are struggling with that. I've struggled with that. I'm not going to lie. I used to. Tra- we love to travel. It's one of the biggest things that we do to recharge is go out and tra- oh, yeah, we're going to have to talk some travel stories. I see you getting all fired up over there. I love
1: traveling.
0: And we haven't traveled much. I mean, besides going down to see my mom or going to Orlando. You well, know, traveling so
1: like is a pain. It's stressful now. That's
0: it is totally stressful. Much. Exactly. It's stressful. Yeah, you know, so th- that was the biggest thing. So one of the things I had to find an alternative way, and one of the things that we've done a lot is actually, you know, dive into, since we're not traveling much, is spend more time here at the house. And then we've turned our backyard from basically a barren landscape into a tropical forest for the most part. Right. That's nice. But you have to recharge. You have to unplug. It. I mean, people these days, this, the social media is good, but it's also, it's the evil empire. So turning things off, centering yourself. I think one of the best things that... I've done um is that I, I try to start each day besides the the marketing mindset like we talked about in media business is I get up in the morning, I get coffee, I go sit outside, and I just I relax for 10 minutes before I do anything else. I may be I may be jamming to Tony Robbins in my head or Mark Victor Hansen or just soothing, chanting monks, Tibetan monks in my head. <laughs> Good. But, but, but it's a good way. Right.
1: Well, that's the secret that everybody talks about. So
0: you know, the meditation's not good. I mean, with gyms shutting down, I need to get back in the gym for sure, but that's that's always been helpful. Um, before that, I was, you know, I, I had my trainer that came to my office every day and we would work out for an hour every day. And that was a, a very mindful thing that helped unplug from life and work. It's it's, it's stressful out there. I think yeah. you've got to unplug from media. I turn the turn the TV off. We got rid of cable year, a couple of years ago. That was a big helpful thing. And Uh, Limit your news, your negative news intake is one of the most important things you can do.
1: Yeah. That's a day to day. Sometimes I find that in our businesses, we get, we, once you go into a a success phase, sometimes you just, you know, sort of stay there for a little bit and you're not really, you're managing day to day, you start to relax and you're really not innovating, not provoking um, new things. So that type of stuck, I think sometimes it's harder to get, you know, to get unstuck from that once you're like sort of comfortable.
0: You know, Richard, Ger- uh, Michael Gerbert talks about that in the e-myth religiously, how we as entrepreneurs, we wear basically three hats and it's the innovation is what usually drives us as entrepreneurs, but then you've got to go back in and the customer service or the research and development of new things that we as entrepreneurs, when we're not doing something that we love, it drains us versus being active. And you're right, you hit success. Most people do hit that plateau stage. Like, oh, I can take a deep breath now. Um, everybody goes through that. You just got to realize it's peaks and plateaus. But you've got to grow. If you if you want to go from making 50 grand a year to 100 grand, you got to get your mind right for that 100 grand a year. If you want to go from making six figures, to seven figures you've got to grow. And that means a lot of times maybe leaving people behind that aren't going to grow with you, Uh, staff members, friends. uh, You've got to surround yourself with like-minded people. And I think that's one of the most important things is is finding somebody, a mentor that you can reach out to. Hey, I've hit this spot. What's next? What should I do next? And you always got to be innovating, figuring out what's coming down the pipeline. Because once, once you start getting stagnant, your competition, you know, they're going to see what you're doing and trying to either a beat you up in some sort of fashion or copy what you're doing. And then, you know, as we like to say, either say they're better or reduce on price in a lot of cases and that happens. You just got to keep innovating and being fresh and doing what others aren't doing. you will be surprised um, at, at where that'll lead. But I, I just think the biggest thing is don't, don't surround yourself yourself with yes, men and yes, women, or they're just, you've got to have somebody who's going to be the devil's advocate. Hey, you need to do this. This is great, but what's next? What are we doing next? Cause that's keep, keeping fresh and keeping, will keep people excited to work with you or keep your team motivated as well.
1: So hitting the end here, I, I wanted to just talk about, I wanted to give me one place I need to go to since we, we spoke about travel stories. Where do I need to go?
0: Okay. First of all, I I, to do that. I have to ask you, what's your favorite place you've been to?
1: Well, my favorite place. Oh, (laughs) I didn't do that. Uh, Well, (laughs) Italy. That was one of my favorite. Now,
0: what? Let's be more specific. In Italy, we talking like the Capri, Sorrento coast. We talking. the,
1: The issue with traveling is that it really depends. It's not all about the place that you go to. Is when you went and who you went with and at what stage in your life. For me, you know, I went to Italy when I was young, backpacking through Europe, and I went to the south, and it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Then I went back with my daughter and my husband when she was little, and I went to the north, and that's a trip that I remember most fondly. Um, So, or for example, I. I went to Greece and I loved Greece, but it was a really bad time in my life. So I'm like, I, I don't have that much of a fond memory. So for me, it's it's a combination of both when you talk about traveling.
0: So I get that, I love Italy. And same thing, I traveled first to Europe after my, a year after I was divorced with a couple of buddies of mine. And then we went, I went back to uh, England and Spain uh, with my significant other Stephanie. And we've enjoyed that and usually try to travel to the Caribbean at least once a year, or to the Europe in some sort of fashion. You know, the other trip of the year. I'm a. I will tell you this: if you like that, I'm a huge fan of Spain. I love Italy. Don't be wrong. Naples, everywhere. The food, the people, just the history of it is great. But honestly, Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona is one of my favorite cities. Madrid's also beautiful. Uh, we will take. There's like a, a couple cruises that you can take, like uh, Norwegian or Disney, especially if you got a young uh, a, a daughter. A Disney cruise is actually pretty nice to go to. You know, it's a little less stressful, but it, it hits it, we hit uh, the. It, it was a trans, was uh, trans transatlantic cruise out of uh, Miami, if I remember correctly. Oh wow! Seven seven days on the ship. You lose an hour each day, but it was fun. The ship, it was fun. We had cruises. I never we had,
1: do that. Oh my god, that's claustrophobic.
0: It's no. It's actually not. It's actually because I, I thought that way as well too. But it's actually really nice. But then we hit. Uh, we hit uh, uh, Portugal, and we hit like five or six stops around Spain and, and Portugal before getting dropped off in Barcelona. Then we jumped on another cruise ship that went down the Italian coasts. But that's that's a thing. I mean, uh, Prague is a beautiful city as well. Have you been to Prague, Alejandro? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have a lot of similarities. You know, the Caribbean floating in the middle of the Caribbean is always one of my favorite things to do on a catamaran. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really favorite things. People who well, go snorkeling.
1: I lost yeah. my my respect for the beach be, living in Miami, but
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I get that. There's, But uh, if you get a chance to, here's a place. If you get a chance to, uh, you ever heard of Nevis, St. Kitts? Go to the Four Seasons in St. Kitts. It is a beautiful resort, a beautiful beach. The people are great. The food is beautiful. It's an amazing place to go to. It's just picturesque. It's quiet, plenty of stuff to do. Uh, but the, the Four Seasons at St. Kitts Resorts, it's probably, it's when we think about the like, iconic, that's the thing that always makes our top two or three lists here, besides Europe.
1: It's been such a pleasure, Scott. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I find your business to be an inspiration for everything that I want a business in, in uh, finance to be, and I really appreciate it that you
0: came on. Yeah, I'm so honored to have you. And I just want to give a big shout out to all the listeners out there. If you're listening to this right now, do Alejandra a big favor. She kicks ass and takes names, the Business of Wealth podcast. So we as podcasters, we love to hear from our listeners. So go on, hit that subscribe button, hit the subscribe button, and then hit that five star review and tell Alejandra how amazing she is. Uh, Amazing Alejandra. We'd love to see it. It just takes a few minutes, but it means so much to us as podcasters. So go do that right now. Watching this, hey, leave a comment below as well, too, for it. But uh, Alejandro, so honored to be here. Uh, If I can help your audience in any way, feel free to reach out to me.
1: Same here. Take
0: care.